The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Optimizing the Care of Patients with Small Cell Lung Cancer in the Community Setting. How to Make the Most of the Latest Therapeutic Advances and Team-Based Best Practices. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash FSE 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hello, my name is Dr. Tiziana Leal. I'm an associate professor and director of the Thoracic Medical Oncology Program at the Winship Cancer Institute of Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Today we'll be talking about elevating the care of patients with small cell lung cancer in community settings and how to make the most of the latest treatment advances and team-based best practices in small cell lung cancer. Here are goals for today. We're gonna equip you with knowledge of the latest therapeutic advances to make the most of the current and emerging therapies for small cell lung cancer. Augment your skills in implementing team-based and patient-centric strategies to develop individualized treatment plans for patients with small cell lung cancer. So let's start with a case. This is a 67-year-old male with past medical history of hypertension, COPD, hyperlipidemia, and a 45-pack year smoking history who presents to your clinic with cough and chest pain for one week. ECOG performance status is one. The initial chest x-ray reveals a right lower lobe opacity. Follow-up imaging included a CT scan of the chest that demonstrated a 4.6 centimeter right lower lobe mass with associated right hilar and mediastinal adenopathy. Blood work was notable for anemia with a hemoglobin of 8.4, the patient underwent a bronchoscopy and biopsy of a level 4 lymph node that revealed the diagnosis of small cell lung cancer. Staging workup included a brain MRI that was negative for metastatic disease. Here are the images of the PET scan performed for staging purposes. As you can see here, it demonstrated the right lower lobe mass, mediastinal and hyaluronopathy, as well as evidence of bone metastatic disease confirming the diagnosis of extensive stage small cell lung cancer. What would you recommend next? We'll come back to this case later. We're going to talk about first-line therapy for small cell lung cancer next. The first study that demonstrated the benefit of immunotherapy in small cell lung cancer was the Empower 133. The Empower 133 was a randomized phase 3 double-blind placebo-controlled study that randomized patients with measurable extensive stage small cell lung cancer with good performance status, treatment naive to either atezolizumab, a pdl one inhibitor in combination with carboplatin and etoposide versus placebo plus carboplatin etoposide. This was followed by maintenance atezolizumab in the uh, study arm versus placebo in the control arm. Of note, PCI was permitted per local standard of care the study primary endpoints included co-primary endpoints of overall survival and investigator-assessed progression-free survival. Key secondary endpoints included overall response rate, duration of response, and safety. And here are the results of the Empower 133, demonstrating improved median overall survival of 12.3 months in the Atezo plus chemotherapy arm versus 10.3 months in the placebo plus chemotherapy arm. The hazard ratio is 0.76, and the p-value met statistical significance. With additional follow-up, now with a median follow-up of 22.9 months, we see the sustained benefit of the addition of atezolizumab to chemotherapy 
with the 18-month overall survival rate of 34% in the Atezo plus chemo versus 21% in the control arm of chemotherapy plus placebo. We recently saw an update of the overall survival of the Empower 133 at World Lung 2023 in Singapore. Here, we show the results of the Umbrella A study. The Umbrella A study was an open-label, single-arm, non-randomized extension study that included patients that rolled over from the Empower 133 study to the Umbrella A extension study. So essentially, this is an observational study and there were 18 patients included in the Umbrella A. Patients were eligible if they continued to receive a tezolizumab at study closure or, or were in survival follow-up. And again, with the small number of patients to note here, we do see, again, that tail of the curve with atezolizumab plus chemotherapy in the Umbrella A study. And importantly, the five-year overall survival here for the Empower 133 and Umbrella A is 12%. Subset analysis of the Empower 133 have also been performed. This is an interesting assessment in terms of patterns of progression on patients on Empower 133. And as you can see on the left, patients develop progression on target lesion in about 51% of the cases, and then progression with new lesions in about 42.8% of the cases. And this is sort of hinting at whether the addition of radiation therapy will be beneficial in patients with small cell lung cancer, given that in the Empower 133, um, chest consolidation was not permitted. So this is sort of hinting at whether additional studies are needed to you know, further assess the benefit of radiation in these patients, and these studies are ongoing. In addition, we also see here in terms of site of new lesions in patients who progressed. Um, as you can see here, there's no significant differences in terms of sites of progression in both arms. This is another exploratory analysis of Empower 133, looking at intracranial progression in patients uh, in Empower 133. This is an exploratory analysis for descriptive purposes only. And what we're seeing here is that the median time to intracranial progression is actually longer in the Atezo plus chemotherapy at 20.2 months versus 10.5 months in the placebo plus chemotherapy arm. Here's our next study, the Caspian study. The Caspian study was a randomized global phase three study that investigated the addition of Dervalumab, a PL1 inhibitor, in combination with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone. In addition, there was a third arm that investigated the addition of tremolumumab, a CTLA4 inhibitor, plus Dervalumab, plus chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone. Similar patient population in the sense that these were all patients that were treatment naive with good performance status with measurable disease. Of note here, they did allow patients that were asymptomatic or treated and stable brain meds. So patients were randomized one to one to one to dervalumab plus tremolumumab plus CP versus dervalumab plus CP versus EP alone. And of note, as you can see here, in the control arm, they did allow up to six cycles of chemotherapy, whereas in the experimental arms, patients received up to four cycles of chemotherapy. Patients then went on to continue maintenance therapy as is shown in this slide. The primary endpoint here is overall survival. Secondary endpoints include progression-free survival, overall response rate, safety and tolerability, and patient-reported outcomes. This study also met the primary endpoint of overall survival. We're seeing here the benefit of Dervalumab plus chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone, with a median overall survival of 12.9 months in the Derva plus EP arm, 
versus 10.5 months in the EP alone arm with a hazard ratio of 0.71. Now a median follow-up of 39.4 months, again demonstrating here the sustained benefit of adding immunotherapy to chemotherapy in the front line for patients with extensive stage small cell lung cancer. The probability of OS rate is 17.6% in the DERVA plus CP arm versus 5.8% in the chemotherapy alone arm. Additionally, we also looked at um, exploratory analysis of the impact of brain metastasis on treatment patterns and outcomes in the Caspian study. And to summarize this analysis, it demonstrated that the addition of Dervalumab to chemotherapy led to improved overall survival in comparison to chemotherapy alone in patients with or without brain metastasis at baseline. So here's our summary of our current standard of care in the front line for patients with treatment-naive small cell lung cancer, the Empower 133 regimen with the addition of atezolizumab to first-line chemotherapy improved overall survival, without any added systemic toxicities. This was FDA approved in March of 2019. We also saw that in the Caspian study, the addition of dervalumab to first-line chemotherapy improved overall survival, again, without significant toxicity, really establishing here the role of immunotherapy in patients in the front line. And of note, we now have longer-term follow-up with the three-year overall survival rate of the Caspian demonstrating sustained benefits. And now with the Umbrella A study, Small number of patients, but again, I think data is consistent, showing improved survival with longer-term follow-up. Of note, the addition of the CTLA-4 inhibitor tremolumumab to dervalumab in frontline to chemotherapy had increased toxicity, did not prolong survival, and was not approved for this indication. So let's come back to our case. So our patient, 67-year-old with past medical history of hypertension, COPD, hyperlipidemia, and 45-pack-year smoking history with cough, chest pain for a week, and good performance status, diagnosed with extensive stage small cell lung cancer based on the bronchoscopy and biopsy of a level 4 lymph node, and also the PET scan showing here evidence of distant metastatic disease with bone metastatic involvement. And what would you recommend next for your patient? So our patient initiated therapy with immunotherapy and chemotherapy as per the results of our landmark clinical trials that we just discussed. In the case of our patient, he initiated dervalumab plus carboplatin and etoposide. The patient had clinical benefit and completed four cycles of induction chemoimmunotherapy, however, did experience delays in initiating cycle three and four because of delayed count recovery and required the use of growth factor support. Subsequently, the patient transitioned on to dervalumab maintenance. However, Routine CT scans after seven cycles of maintenance dervalumab unfortunately did show evidence of progression of disease with new liver lesions. In addition, the brain MRI showed three subcentimeter lesions in the brain consistent with metastasis. There was no edema and the patient had no neurologic symptoms. ECOG performance status was maintained and he wants to talk about other therapeutic strategies. So what would you recommend next? So let's talk about second-line therapy options for small cell lung cancer. Here's the NCCN guidelines recommendations for subsequent systemic therapy for patients with small cell lung cancer. Of note, as you can see here, the preferred regimens are clinical trial enrollment, retreatment with platinum-based doublet, and then there are other recommended options including lorbanectidin, topotecan oral or IV, and arenotecan. 
But I'd like to point out that the FDA approvals for small cell lung cancer include topotecan, which was approved in 1996. Patients with small cell lung cancer with platinum-sensitive disease who had progression at least 60 days after first-line chemotherapy. Of note, this predates the approval of immunotherapy in small cell lung cancer. And then most recently, we had an accelerated approval for lorbinectidin in June of 2020 for patients with small cell lung cancer or disease progression on or after platinum-based chemotherapy. So let's talk about our options and specifically how the data applies to our patient that we're seeing in our clinic. So here's the data for platinum doublet rechallenge versus topotecan in a randomized phase three setting. Most of the data that we have for platinum doublet rechallenge actually dates back to the 1980s when we actually didn't have other second line options. A lot of the data was retrospective, they were small series. This is our first randomized phase three study. In this study, patients with small cell lung cancer who had progression of disease on prior chemotherapy and had platinum sensitive disease as defined by the study received topotecan versus combination chemotherapy, which include platinum atopicide chemotherapy. The primary endpoint here of this study was progression-free survival. On the left of note, the topotecan arm had a progression-free survival of 2.7 months, and then chemotherapy with platinum doublet had a PFS of 4.7 months. The hazard ratio is 0.57, and the p-value was statistically significant. However, on the right, what we're seeing is the overall survival curves. And as you can see, there was no significant difference in overall survival between topotecan and platinum atopicide chemotherapy in the platinum re-challenge uh, setting. Importantly, in terms of toxicities, as one would expect, the majority of the toxicities really were myelosuppression. Um, there were no deaths in the platinum doublet rechallenge arm, and there were two deaths due to febrile neutropenia in the topotecan arm. So this is the data that supports the potential use of platinum rechallenge in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer in the sensitive uh, setting. What about topotecan? Well, topotecan, as we discussed, has been approved now for many years. These were the studies that led to the approval of topotecan by the FDA. And again, here, important to note that in both studies, eligibility included patients that were considered platinum sensitive and showed a benefit of topotecan versus best supportive care. And then in the study of topotecan versus CAV, the treatment was better tolerated in topotecan versus CAV. These studies were the supportive studies that led to the approval of topotecan, but I'll note that the overall survival here in the study ranges uh, about six months of overall survival. In addition, topotecan is associated with significant hematologic toxicities, and this has been something that mirrors our experience in clinical practice. As you can see here, you know, significant issues with leukopenia, neutropenia, thrombocytopenia, and anemia as well. So moving on to our next approval, lorbanectidin. Um, lorbanectidin is an agent that inhibits transcription, and it can also affect uh, the tumor microenvironment and lead to a more active immune microenvironment. Lorbanectidin was investigated as a single agent in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer in a phase two basket trial. In the cohort of patients with small cell lung cancer, patients had to have performance status of zero to two, one prior line of chemotherapy. Of note, prior immunotherapy was allowed, adequate organ function, and they excluded patients with CNS metastasis. 
Patients receive lorbanetidin at 3.2 milligrams per meter squared IV every three weeks. And the primary endpoint of the study was overall response rate. The study did demonstrate improved overall response rate according to the statistical analysis of the study. As you can see here, the overall response rate in lorbanectidin in the single arm study was 35%. As one would expect, the responses are higher in patients that are considered platinum sensitive in the chemotherapy free interval of 90 days or greater. The overall response rate is 45%. In patients defined as chemotherapy resistant, the response rate is 22%. The progression-free survival that was noted in the overall population, median PFS was 3.5 months in all patients. The median progression-free survival in patients with resistant disease was 2.6 months and 4.6 months in patients with sensitive disease. Of note, the median overall survival here was quite promising with a median overall survival of 9.3 months in the overall population, five months in the resistant disease population, and 11.9 months in patients with platinum-sensitive disease. With regards to duration of response, the duration response, as expected, was higher in patients with um, platinum-sensitive disease with a median of 6.2 months, and with patients that had resistant disease, 4.7 months. This is an analysis of the activity of lorbanectidin from this trial looking at patients that had a chemotherapy-free interval both of 90 days or 180 days. And of note, just to kind of put it into perspective, the chemotherapy-free interval of 180 days or greater is what NCCN guidelines generally recommends potentially using a platinum doublet rechallenge. And as you can see here, although the numbers are small, we have about 20 patients in this uh, study that demonstrated chemotherapy interval of 180 days or greater that were included and I think it's striking to see that the overall response rate uh, was 60% in the investigator assessment, 50% in the independent review committee. And then importantly, you see a really promising median overall survival of 16.2 months in these patients in the lorbanectin in phase two single arm study. In terms of safety, lorbanectin overall was well tolerated. There are potential toxicities, specifically hematologic toxicities need to be monitored for. As you can see here, neutropenia grade 3 or 4 did occur in 21 and 25% of patients. Anemia can also happen in grade 3 or higher in 9% of patients. Leukopenia, uh, we see here 19% grade 3 or higher, 10% grade 4 or higher. But of note, the rates of febrile neutropenia are actually quite low at about 2%. Fatigue is also a side effect that we can see and in about 7% of the cases can be in grade three or higher. Other things to monitor for include elevations in creatinine and alterations in LFTs. So the next study investigated the um, combination of lorbanectidin with doxorubicin versus the standard of care, which included topotecan or CAV. In this study, after completing 10 cycles of doxorubicin plus lorbanectidin, patients then went on to monotherapy after 10 cycles uh, because of the max that people have on doxorubicin. Highlighting in this subset analysis that there were 50 patients that actually went on to receive the monotherapy lorbanectidin. And importantly here, with the combination strategy, lorbanectidin is given at 2 milligrams per meter squared, which is lower than the monotherapy dose. But when patients went on to monotherapy, they were allowed to dose escalate back up 
to 3.2 milligrams per meter squared. On the right, you see the baseline characteristics of the 50 patients that went on to monotherapy after completion of 10 cycles. And I like to point out that as you can see here, the majority of the patients are actually um, chemotherapy free interval greater than 90 days. And then there were actually 64% of the patients that had a chemotherapy free interval of 180 days or greater. To summarize the results of the phase three Atlantis trial, this study did not meet the primary endpoint of overall survival in PFS. As you can see here, there were no significant differences in terms of these outcomes of overall survival and PFS. The safety of the combination was um, acceptable and there were no safety signals there. In this interesting exploratory analysis, going back to the 50 patients that went on to monotherapy after 10 cycles, it was interesting to note that for the patients that had achieved a CR or a PR, they tended to maintain their responses once they went on to the monotherapy experience. And there were in fact some patients that had stable disease and then went on to also potentially have partial responses and CRs in the um, monotherapy experience. Although a small number of patients noted here, I think again, showing here a very promising overall survival in this exploratory analysis with a median overall survival for this patient population of 20.7 months. Let's look at the efficacy and safety of lorbinectity in older patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer. This study was a post hoc analysis of efficacy and safety of lorbinectidin in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer, age 65 and older, that were included both the phase two basket trial and the Atlantis trial. And the summary of this slide is that in older patients, lorbinectidin compared favorably to standard of care, both in terms of efficacy with higher response rate and longer duration of response and overall survival, and then importantly in safety with less hematologic toxicities, really reinforcing that lorbinectidin is a potential option for older patients with small cell lung cancer. So let's go back to our case. Our patient was successfully initiated on AP plus Dervalumab, completed induction, went on to maintenance, had some issues with hematologic toxicities, but then unfortunately after six, seven cycles, went on to develop new progressive brain metastasis. The brain MRI showed three subcentimeter parenchymal lesions consistent with metastasis, and there were no neurologic symptoms and no surrounding perilesional edema. The patient maintains good performance status and wants to explore other therapeutic options. So what would you recommend for this patient? And what would be the considerations with regards to this clinical scenario that would help you choose one option versus another? So in the case of our patient, the patient was initiated on lorbinectidin. Of note, in the lorbinectidin monotherapy study in the single arm phase two study, patients with brain metastasis were excluded. In the case of our patient who had small asymptomatic brain metastasis, we actually initiated lorbinectidin without radiation given the uh, burden of disease in the liver. The patient tolerated treatment well, but had progression after four cycles of lorbinectidin with an increasing number of hepatic metastasis and mediastinal adenopathy. We also had to monitor the brain quite closely, and on follow-up brain MRI, the patient ultimately did require the addition of stereotactic radiosurgery to these three small brain lesions. The patient remained with good performance status after progression on lorbinectidin, and wants to talk about other treatment options. And this is a patient that is now being treated potentially in the third line and beyond. 
So let's talk about treatment options beyond second line for small cell lung cancer. It's important to note there are no current approved standard of care options for patients in third line with the diagnosis of relapse small cell lung cancer. And we go back to the NCCN recommendations for subsequent systemic therapy, and our patient has now received platinum-based doublet and lurbanectidin. All of the other options are potential therapeutic strategies that are supported by the NCCN guidelines. Many of them are based on single-arm phase two studies with limited efficacy and potential toxicities. It's also important to note that palliative care can be considered as another alternative for patients who are not candidates for further chemotherapy or who wish to have supportive care and palliative care. And this requires a multidisciplinary approach with our team, including pulmonary, radiation oncology, palliative care, and many others that are involved to support our patients through their journey. So let's talk about the evolving research on the disease biology of small cell lung cancer and emerging treatment strategies. So one thing that has been very um, difficult in the development of treatment strategies for patients with small cell lung cancer has been the lack of predictive biomarkers for patients to predict the optimal treatment strategies. One thing that has been coming out and has been very interesting is the identification of biologic subtypes in small cell lung cancer that can be established by differential expression of transcription regulators. These are based on presence or absence of neuroendocrine factors. So we have four subtypes that have been identified, ASCL1, NeuroD1, PAL2F3, and the immune infiltrated or SCLCI. This one is associated with an immune infiltrated transcription signature. And we'll talk about how that potentially has therapeutic implications. So looking here at the exploratory analysis of Empower 133, for patients that had the inflamed subtype they seem to derive the greatest benefit of um, immunotherapy combination strategy. As you can see here on the lower part of the slide, Empower 133 overall survival by subtype. You can see that in the small cell lung cancer eye subtype, the median overall survival was 18.2 months with the combination strategy including atezolizumab versus 10.4 months with EP plus placebo. Of note, as you can see here, patients didn't benefit more from the addition of immunotherapy, regardless of the type of subtype that they had. Another interesting sub-analysis or exploratory analysis of the Empower 133 were results from gene expression analysis in long-term survivor survivors from Empower 133. Here, long-term survivors were defined as patients who lived 18 months or longer. So they looked at associations between differential gene expression and these subcell, this small cell lung cancer subtypes based on RNA-seq data. And what we saw was that there was an enrichment of long-term survivors among the patients that had the small cell lung cancer I subtype that was associated with atezolizumab. Of note, the benefit was seen across all subtypes, and this was um, interesting, but requires further, I think, confirmation in prospective studies. We also saw the exploratory analysis of the Caspian study, looking at overall survival by molecular subtype. And the bottom line here is that there, again, is the signal of improved overall survival for patients with the inflamed subtype. There's some controversy with this fourth subgroup on whether this is YAP1 or small cell lung cancer I. 
And I think importantly, we're still trying to understand the plasticity of small cell lung cancer and how these subtypes actually evolve under the pressures of active therapy and during progression. Another interesting analysis of the Caspian looked at uh, the inflamed signature, and again, showing that patients with a high T-cell inflamed signature had a numerically longer overall survival in the combination of dervalumab plus chemotherapy. Let's move on to other strategies. One strategy that is currently investigated, being investigated in a randomized phase two study is the combination of BMS 986012 986012 is actually an antifucosal GM1 monoclonal antibody. And in this study, this was based on the rationale that BMS, in combination with nivolumab in a phase one study, really demonstrated really promising duration of response in patients with relapsed, heavily pretreated small cell lung cancer. So in this study, the binding of BMS to tumor cells preclinically had been shown to activate ADCC, ADCP, and CDC, antibody-dependent cell-mediated uh, cell cytotoxicity, complement-dependent cytotoxicity, and it also potentially increases T-cell anti-tumor activity preclinically. And this is the rationale for moving this forward now with chemotherapy. As you can see here in this randomized phase, randomized phase two trial, patients with treatment-naive small cell lung cancer who are eligible to receive platinum-based chemotherapy, randomized one-to-one, -to, -one, to now quadruplet. We're doing BMS, the antifucosal antibody, in combination with nivolumab, a PD-1 inhibitor, carboplatin, and etoposide, versus the triplet of nivolumab plus carboplatin etoposide. In this study, in the investigational arm, patients went on to receive maintenance BMS plus nivolumab, and in arm B, patients received nivolumab monotherapy alone. The primary endpoints here are safety and tolerability, and progression-free survival by Blinded Independent Review Committee. Of note, they've reported out on the safety of this combination, and so far the safety has been acceptable. The main side effect has been pruritus, which is manageable. The efficacy endpoints have not yet been reported, but we might see these results in upcoming future meetings in um, the near future. One study that I think has been highly uh, awaited, and now we have the results published at ASCO 2023, was the addition of PARP inhibitors in maintenance for patients with small cell lung cancer. We've known from prior phase two studies that Slofen 11 is present in about 50% of samples of patients with small cell lung cancer. It has come out as a potential predictive biomarker of benefit for patients with small cell lung cancer, predictive benefit for PARP inhibitors, and now this is our first prospective study incorporating an integral biomarker for patients with small cell lung cancer. So in this study, in the randomized phase three setting, patients receive induction therapy per standard of care with the combination of atezolizumab plus carboplatin etoposide. They then undergo testing for Slofen 11, and this is an IHCH score, um, which is a yes or no. And if they have non-progressive disease after induction, then they're randomized to ARM-A, which is a tezolizumab maintenance, versus ARM-B, which is a tezolizumab plus talizaparib, which is a potent PARP inhibitor that has been approved in other indications, including breast cancer. Patients then continue on until disease progression. And we saw that this study met its primary endpoint of progression-free survival at ASCO 2023. What we see here is an approved modest improvement in 
progression-free survival. In the atezolizumab plus talizaparib, the median progression-free survival was 4.2 months versus 2.8 months, with a hazard ratio of 0.70. However, there was no difference in terms of overall survival. And of note, there was more toxicities, as one would expect, in the combination of talizaparib plus atezolizumab, mainly myelosuppression, which leads us to kind of wonder a little bit more about the biomarker and whether we need to further investigate where, whether there are degrees of positivity that perhaps would enrich patients that would be the ones to have the greatest magnitude of benefit from the addition of PARP inhibitor, such as talizaparib, to immunotherapy in the maintenance setting. And I think also importantly, this highlights the attempts that we are making to individualize therapy for patients with small cell lung cancer. And this is really a great effort by SWOG and the cooperative group mechanism to incorporate a predictive biomarker here in a prospective fashion for patients with small cell lung cancer, highlighting that small cell lung cancer can't be treated like a one-size-fits-all one type of disease moving forward. In terms of the response rates, as you can see here, the response rates were also similar between the two groups. And moving on to other strategies, this is an early phase study called the Looper study, now investigating the combination of pembrolizumab plus lorbanectidin in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer who had progression on a chemotherapy-containing regimen who had measurable disease. Prior immunotherapy, though, was not allowed in this study. So these are patients in the relapse setting that are receiving immunotherapy for the first time in combination with lorbanectidin. The primary endpoint of this study is safety. And what we saw is the combination of pembrolizumab plus lorbanectidin was safe. DLTs uh, occurred, one grade three fatigue occurred in dose level one, and one grade four neutropenia in dose level one and dose level two. The recommended phase two dose was determined to be lorbanectidin at full dose at 3.2 milligrams per meter squared and pembrolizumab at 200 milligrams IV every three weeks. And we saw an interesting initial uh, sign of efficacy here with an overall response rate of 30%. Further studies are needed to explore this combination, but of note, you know, we really need to be exploring this, I think, in a population of patients that are immunotherapy pre-treated pre -treated in whether this can overcome resistance to immunotherapy, which is also an active area of investigation in patients with small cell lung cancer at this time. So there are multiple ongoing trials investigating lorbanectidin or lorbanectidin combinations in patients both in the maintenance setting as well as in the relapse setting. Here, the confirmatory phase three trial called the Lagoon trial has been initiated. In this study, patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer who had one prior platinum-based chemotherapy um, are randomized one-to-one-to-one -to, -one -to, -one to lorbanectidin, lorbanectidin um, plus arenotecan or the standard of care. And here the endpoint is um, overall survival. So hopefully this study will confirm the benefits of lorbanectidin in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer. But there are multiple other trials that are also ongoing. One interesting trial that is, I think, close to completion and perhaps reporting is the Enforte phase three trial, evaluating lorbanectidin plus atezolizumab in patients with small cell lung cancer following indu induction therapy with carboplatinotoposide and atezolizumab. Here, the primary endpoint um, is progression-free survival and overall survival. We're also investigating the combination of lorbanectidin with other chemotherapy options, including PARP inhibitors and radiation. 
Expanding the role of immunotherapies to earlier lines of therapy is obviously the next step. You know, the addition of immunotherapy has improved overall survival in patients with extensive stage disease. Can we capitalize on the addition of immunotherapy and radiation therapy in patients with extensive stage small cell lung cancer? I think that's a really good point. And we saw sort of that signal from the Empower 133, where 50% of the patients actually had progression of disease at their initial site of target, uh, target disease. And this is the NRG LU007, which is a trial that's underway, testing the addition of thoracic RT and RT to metastatic sites in combination with maintenance therapy versus maintenance alone. And then we're also investigating the addition of immunotherapy in patients now with limited stage small cell lung cancer. The Adriatic study is investigating the use of dervalumab in patients with limited stage small cell lung cancer after completion of chemoradiation. The LU005 study has already completed accrual, investigating the combination of atezolizumab with concurrent chemorads, followed by maintenance versus the standard of care. And then the Keeling 013 study, also investigating the use of pembrolizumab, but now adding a PARP inhibitor in patients with limited st stage small cell lung cancer after concurrent chemoradiation. And there are many other novel approaches and combinations that are under investigation beyond PD-1, PD-L1 inhibitors and PARP inhibitors. Here's another study, again, investigating PARP inhibitor combinations in relapsed small cell lung cancer. This is a study investigating the addition of temozolomide at intermittent low dose with continuous talizaparib. Prior phase two studies have demonstrated that temozolomide has activity in small cell lung cancer, has intracranial activity. In this study, the combination demonstrated a promising overall response rate of 39%, PFS of 4.5 months, overall survival of 12 months, and as expected, the treatment-related adverse events of grade 3 or higher were mainly myelosuppression with thrombocytopenia, anemia, neutropenia, and then atypical pneumonia was seen in 3.2% of patients. But the opt optimal biomarker to select patients for uh, use of PARP inhibitors in small cell lung cancer remains to be an investigational um, question. As you can see here, we are currently investigating Schlafen 11 based on the SWAG trial. We saw that it does lead to modest improvement in PFS. On the right, in the combination of low-dose temozolomide plus talizaparib, mutations in the DDR genes occurred on treatment with this combination, and it was associated with disease control. So here, looking at targetable alterations in the DNA repair pathway. And then in the middle, can we predict which patients will derive the greatest benefit of PARP inhibitor with the small cell lung cancer subtypes? Patients with the small cell lung cancer P seem to be the most sensitive in preclinical studies. This remains to be confirmed in a prospective study. Moving on to other strategies, one of uh, that has led to a lot of excitement and enthusiasm are the BITE, the bispecific T cell engagers, the ones that are targeting DLL3. We now have the results of the phase one of the Delphi 300 study investigating terlatumab or AMG 757, a bite agent targeting DLL3 and CD3 in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer. And what we saw in the study now published in JCO is that terlatumab demonstrated promising anti-tumor activity with encouraging responses. With durability of these responses, as you can see here, the median duration of response of 13 months and promising median overall survival of 13.2 months. With an acceptable safety profile, cytokine release syndrome was the main side effect that is reported. 
However, the majority seem to be low-grade in nature and reversible. Treatment discontinuation because of treatment-related adverse events were low at 4%. At this time, uh, this strategy is still investigational and requires close monitoring given the risk of CRS and is currently been, being given as an inpatient. But further efforts are ongoing to optimize how to manage side effects and the sort of administration of terlatumab in patients with small cell lung cancer, but certainly a very promising strategy, and we may see approval of terlatumab in the near future. And here is the ongoing phase two registrational study of terlatumab in third line and beyond in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer. As you can see on the left, they're still optimizing the dose of terlatumab. There's a low dose, lower dose cohort, as well as, as well as a higher dose cohort. Next, we saw updates from other bites targeting DLL3 in patients with small cell lung cancer. This is BI764532. This is a bite agent targeting DLL3. This was reported as an update from World Lung in Singapore in 2023, demonstrating here the safety and preliminary efficacy of BI in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer. Here showing the efficacy of BI in patients with small cell lung cancer with doses of 90 or greater with a PR rate here of 26%. In terms of safety, the, the strategy of BI in patients with small cell lung cancer has actually been well tolerated so far. So far, The NTD has not yet been reached. The dose escalation is still ongoing. For the most part, as you can see here, uh, not unexpected given the mechanism of act action. CRS um, is a side effect that we also have to monitor for. Uh, we see here low numbers of patients yet, but CRS, confusional state, infusion-related uh, infusion reactions, and nervous system disorders um, are also things that we have had to monitor for these agents. And the DLTs for patients in this study were reversible and patients recovered. So more on this um, agent but looking promising, and I think the safety here is consistent with what we would expect. There are other investigational DLL3 T-cell engagers, and we also have DLL3 CAR-T in development. Another promising strategy that is under active investigation in multiple tumor types, including in small cell lung cancer, are the antibody drug conjugates. Uh, the antibody drug conjugates in small cell lung cancer have been explored in the past with, as you can see here, the agent Rova-T, which was an ADC that targeted DLL3. And we did see activity of Rova-T in patients with small cell lung cancer. However, the development of DLL3 targeting with an ADC for small cell lung cancer really was hampered by concerns with regards to toxicity. These newer ADCs um, under development are now um, coming out as better tolerated strategies for patients with solid tumors and small cell lung cancer specifically. There are multiple ADCs targeting different targets. Um, the trope 2 as a target in small cell lung cancer is a promising one. We have two agents here targeting trope 2, sasituzumab and datopotamab uh, deruxtecan. Uh, as you can see here, SASI is a topo 1 inhibitor as well as datopotamab. The payload is a topo 1 inhibitor. And we're seeing promising activity, and we'll talk about that in future slides. B7H3 with another payload that's a topo-1 inhibitor with, with infinimab. Deruxtecan looking very promising. I'll give you updates from WCLC. And then other agents here, as you can see, targeting the SCZ6, CCAM5, and B7H3. 
So very exciting times in terms of novel strategies in small cell lung cancer. Here's the update that we saw for Infinimab, Deruxtecan, and small cell lung cancer at World Lung Cancer 2023. This is an ADC with three components, a fully human anti-B7H3 IgG1 monoclonal antibody attached to the TOPO1 inhibitor payload. And what we saw was promising anti-tumor activity of IDXD in patients with relapsed small cell lung cancer in this initial look in the phase 1-2 study. We saw response rates in patients of about 52%. The median duration response was 5.9 months, and the median follow-up here is 11.6 months. Of note, nearly all the patients with post-baseline scans had a reduction in target lesions, and the median time to response was quick at 1.2 months. The progression-free survival was reported to be 5.6 months, and the median overall survival in this heavily pretreated population promising at 12.2 months. And in general, the treatment strategy was well-tolerated. There were no new safety signals observed, and the safety profile was consistent with prior reports, with nausea being the most common treatment-emergent adverse event. Moving forward to another target of interest, trope 2, we know that Trope 2 is highly expressed in lung cancer, and high trope 2 expression was reported in 18% of high-grade neuroendocrine tumors from lung cancer patients, including about 10% of patients with small cell lung cancer. And as you can see here, there is an association in these preclinical studies of survival with high trope 2 expression in high-grade nets. And we're now seeing in early phase studies the investigation of sasituzumab, govacan, Govatecan, which is an ADC targeting trope 2, in multiple tumor types now approved in breast cancer um, and other tumor types being investigated actively in non-small cell lung cancer and in small cell lung cancer showing some initial signals of efficacy with a response rate of 18%, median duration of response of 5.7 months, median PFS of 3.7 months, and a median overall survival of 7.1 months, showing a signal of efficacy in this pretreated patient population in this early phase study. In terms of the, TD, the mean uh, time to onset of response, we see here two months, and the responses seem to be durable. Two responses were still ongoing, 7.2 months plus and 8.7 months plus after the initiation of SASE, and stable disease was the best response in 42% of the patients. So in conclusion, Recent advancements in first-line treatment for patients with small cell lung cancer have established chemoimmunotherapy as a standard of care, optimal strategy. However, in the second line, in the relapse setting, treatment for patients with small cell lung cancer needs to be individualized. Platinum rechallenge remains an option. Lorbanectidin as a single agent remains an option as well for salvage therapy, preferably in platinum-sensitive disease. We're seeing promising strategies being investigated in subtypes of small cell lung cancer. We need further prospective studies to really understand if they predict therapeutic vulnerabilities. The combination of PARP inhibitors, spe specifically talazoprid plus temozolomide, have shown encouraging response rates in pretreated small cell lung cancer. A biomarker uh, is still being investigated to predict the optimal uh, way to select patients for benefit with a PARP inhibitor. Terlatumab, which is a bite agent targeting DLL3, has shown promising response durability, promising overall survival, acceptable safety profile, and heavily pretreated small cell lung cancer. 
An antibody drug conjugates targeting several different targets are promising, and early phase uh, trials are showing a signal of efficacy, and we look forward to seeing some of these continuing development in small cell lung cancer. Thank you very much. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash FSE 860. This program is supported by an independent medical education grant from Jazz Pharmaceuticals.